0: This Daily 202 podcast is sponsored by Nokia. Nokia is helping drive 5G for America. Powered by Nokia Bell Labs, our innovations accelerate the nation's future. Learn more at nokia.com slash open to more. Good morning. I'm James Holman from The Washington Post, and this is The Daily 202 for Thursday, July 23rd. In today's news, federal agents tear gas the mayor of Portland. Republican lawmakers privately discuss what to do if President Trump loses and refuses to leave the White House. And China's Mars mission lifts off as the new space race heats up. But first, the big idea. When Sophie Cunningham, a guard for the WNBA's Phoenix Mercury, returned to training last week after a bout with COVID-19, she made an announcement that startled fans. She believes that she has been infected twice, once in March and then again last month. As the United States marks its sixth month since the arrival of the contagion, Sophie's story is among a growing number of reports of people getting it, recovering, and then falling sick again. Assertions that, if proved, could complicate efforts to make a long-lasting vaccine or to achieve herd immunity where most of the population has become immune to the virus. Alas, there is no data on how many Americans report being reinfected. But doctors on the front lines of the fight say they began seeing a trickle of relapsed patients in June and July. Those patients ran the gamut, including both men and women from their 20s to their 60s, who were distinct from the long haulers who have been complaining of symptoms for months. These are people who had tested positive way back when and seem to have recovered. At the University of Pennsylvania, there was the pregnant woman infected in March who was fine for two months and then became so sick during childbirth she had to be put on a ventilator. At the Cleveland Clinic, there was a patient with very mild symptoms back in February, just a loss of smell and taste. He was well for two months, but then he needed to be hospitalized in May and was confirmed to have the virus again. And at ProHealthcare in Long Island, there was a man infected at the end of March who was never sick enough to be hospitalized, but he showed up again in July, this time very ill. He thought he had an immunity shield, so he took care of his son when he got COVID. Two weeks later, he was in the ER. Now, doctors emphasize there is no evidence of widespread vulnerability to reinfection and that it's difficult to know what to make of these anecdotal cases in the absence of detailed lab work, or medical studies documenting reinfections. Some people could be suffering from a reemergence of the same illness from virus that had been lurking somewhere in their body, or they could have been hit with a different virus with similar symptoms. Their positive COVID tests could be false positives, a not insignificant possibility given accuracy issues with some of the tests. Or the new tests could be picking up dead remnants of the virus, as authorities believe happened in hundreds of people who tested positive after recovering in South Korea. Our science writers Carolyn Johnson and Ariana Yunjing-ja say there is just not enough evidence to draw firm conclusions about how people develop immunity, how long it might last, or what might make it less robust in some individuals than others. When the outbreak first hit, many experts, including Tony Fauci, said they hoped protection from reinfection might last at least through the expected second wave in the fall or into next year. For SARS and MERS, the antibodies seem to last for a year or longer. But other coronaviruses, such as the four that cause the common cold, act differently. People seem to be able to get the common cold every season, over and over again each year, without growing the antibodies. Dan Griffin, an infectious diseases doctor and researcher at Columbia University, says that with every new virus, including chickenpox, for which antibodies are supposed to last a lifetime, there are cases of people who become sick again after recovering initially. When it comes to Ebola, American doctor Ian Crozier was declared free of the virus, but then later doctors found it still lurking in his eye. In HIV-AIDS, a baby in Mississippi, born to an HIV-positive mother, was thought to be cured, but then the virus re-emerged 27 months after therapy was stopped. So in a world where 14.5 million people have had the novel coronavirus, a small number with resurgent sickness shouldn't necessarily be cause for alarm. Based on what we know about the novel coronavirus— Physicians and public health officials say reinfection is certainly a theoretical possibility, but they still disagree, some strongly, over whether there is convincing evidence that this is happening, and if so, what the implications might be for the vaccine. Last week, a British study that has not yet been peer-reviewed added to the body of evidence that antibodies, which fight the virus, drop off steeply two or three months after infection. Should be a very big deal. But that was quickly followed by another study, also not yet peer-reviewed, of antibodies in nearly 20,000 New Yorkers who had mild or moderate COVID symptoms. After retesting 120 of those people three months later, researchers at Mount Sinai found virus-fighting antibodies were largely stable, and it even increased in some people that started with lower levels right after their infections. The Mount Sinai team speculates that the antibody test they used which has been authorized by the FDA, may be more sensitive and thus accurate than the ones used in other studies. Virologists and immunologists have also been quick to point out that our body's immune system uses an array of different tools to fight infections. Antibodies, which are a blood protein, have gotten the most attention because they're relatively easy to measure and they work in a simple and easy to grasp way. They block viruses from entering cells and route the infection but there are also memory B cells, which is a type of white blood cell, which create antibodies based on past skirmishes with pathogens. And then there's the T cells, another type of white blood cell. They also play crucial roles. They sort of orchestrate the entire immune response, instructing the body to recreate more antibodies and even actively fighting the virus by killing the infected cells themselves. The T cells are great. Scientists, are unclear which components of the immune response are most important to fight off this coronavirus. Seeing antibody levels drop off, of course, is a concerning sign, but the data is provisional and conflicting. Even if the antibodies decrease, it doesn't necessarily mean people are just as susceptible if they encounter the virus again. A small study of human volunteers who had a common cold coronavirus squirted up their nose and then came back for a repeat dose a year later showed that antibodies in their blood declined and people were able to be reinfected with the virus. But when they got the cold again, they did not develop as contagious a cold, meaning they shed virus in an infectious way for shorter periods. Other infections, such as dengue fever, can be more severe the second time around. Sadly, reports from the front lines continue to grow more grim, the US is poised to very soon surpass 4 million confirmed cases. And the number of daily deaths yesterday in America surpassed 1,100. That's the first time that mark has been reached since May. And total deaths in the United States since the start of the pandemic have increased to more than 140,000. California yesterday passed New York in the number of total confirmed cases. With transmission rapidly spiking in many areas, governors in Indiana, Minnesota, and Ohio, along with the mayor of Washington, D.C., joined a growing number of other states in mandating face coverings. More than 30 states now require people to wear masks. The data show the masks are helping. And an influential model from the Institute for Health Metrics and Evaluation at the University of Washington said wider mask wearing by Americans has caused them to revise their projections on how many folks are going to die of COVID by November 1st. Earlier, their forecast had 224,500 Americans dead by November 1st. Now, they've revised the estimate to 219,900 by November 1st, which is a decrease of about 5,000 deaths. If 95% of Americans wore masks when leaving their homes, The researchers say that number would drop from 219,000 dead to 185,900. When you go outside, it's worth thinking about those figures as you consider whether to mask up. And that's the big idea. Here are three other headlines that should be on your radar. Number one, Ted Wheeler, the mayor of Portland, Oregon, got tear gassed overnight by federal agents. Wheeler was standing alongside protesters, masked again outside a courthouse, as they have been for several weeks now. The Democratic mayor strapped on goggles and coughed heavily as the noxious fumes wafted past. His brush with chemical irritants came after he made a contentious and at times tense attempt to talk with protesters. In the hours before the federal agents cracked down on the demonstration, Wheeler was heckled and screamed at as he attempted to explain his position at a time when protests have gripped the Rose City, and Trump has sent federal officers in increasing numbers to the streets. As the mayor waded into the crowd of hundreds, many of whom have called for his resignation, activists projected a list of demands onto the side of the county justice center, including that the mayor defund police by 50%, free protesters who are still being held in custody, and get federal agents out of Portland, something the mayor can't control. Wheeler stayed at the fence until the fumes forced him to retreat. Meanwhile, at the White House yesterday afternoon, Trump announced that he is deploying more federal officers to respond to crime in Chicago, Albuquerque, and Kansas City. Number two At least 76% of American voters will now be able to cast ballots by mail in the presidential election. As of now, nearly 180 million Americans who are eligible to vote would be able to cast a ballot by mail. Of those, 22 million live in states that will accept fear of the coronavirus as an excuse to vote absentee, or they've switched to become states where you need no excuse at all. 34 states in D.C. already allowed anyone to vote absentee, but many of these places are making the process easier. California will start proactively mailing ballots to registered voters, joining universal vote-by-mail states like Colorado. Many states will send every registered voter an absentee ballot application. These types of statewide expansion efforts affect another 63 million eligible voters. In some states like Nebraska, individual counties are planning to send mail-in voting applications in the absence of a statewide directive. For voters in nine states, in-person voting remains the only option unless they can provide an approved reason not related to fear of the coronavirus. Traditional absentee excuses include military deployments or illness. Those nine states, some of which are surprising, include Connecticut, New York, Indiana, Kentucky, Louisiana, Mississippi, South Carolina, Texas, and West Virginia. Back in D.C., Republican lawmakers are privately increasingly having conversations about what will happen if Trump loses but refuses to relinquish power. Most legal experts say it's hard to envision that the president would actually try to stay in office after a clear defeat by Joe Biden, considering the uproar that would follow. But his unwillingness to commit to a smooth transition of power or to accept the results has forced academics and political leaders, including privately GOP lawmakers, to contemplate various scenarios. Among the possibilities, Trump could claim victory before the vote in key states is fully counted, a process that because of the mail-in voting could take days or even weeks, He could also spend weeks refusing to concede amid a legal war over which votes are valid or should be included in the tally, or he could simply refuse to leave on January 20th. This year, the president has attacked the security of voting by mail more than 50 times, even though there is no evidence that mail voting leads to the kind of fraud Trump describes. In GOP circles on Capitol Hill, private talks about Trump's assertions veer from Alarm to shrugging off his comments as simply incendiary political salvos, one moderate Republican House member who spoke on the condition of anonymity to comment candidly and avoid Trump's wrath said he expects the president to leave quickly if it's a blowout, but he worries about a narrow election and whether Trump would go to extreme lengths to try to, quote, protect his personal brand. This congressman said it's something Republican lawmakers would rather not think about, but that it's coming up. The president is being backed by a bustling operation in 15 states to monitor voting locations and ensure a large-scale presence at polling sites. Trump's re-election campaign, working with the RNC, is planning to recruit 50,000 volunteers to serve as, quote, poll watchers on election day, with $20 million already set aside for courtroom fights. Democrats in the Biden campaign fear these poll watchers will be used to harass and intimidate voters, especially in communities of color. Number three, while you were sleeping, China launched its first mission to attempt to land on Mars as space exploration becomes a growing battleground in the U.S.-China rivalry. The launch squeaks ahead of our planned mission to Mars next week. With both nations aiming to put rovers on the Red Planet. If both are successful, this will be China's first rover to touch Martian soil and the first U.S. one in nine years. NASA had originally planned to launch our rover on July 17th, last week, but they had to delay the mission to July 30th. The Chinese launch off the southern island of Hainan was widely watched over there on state television. Mars has become a focus in the new space race due to its potential for human habitation. Previous missions have found water on the planet, which is necessary for Earth's life forms. The communist spacecraft is expected to take between six and seven months to reach the red planet. In 2011, China attempted to launch a Mars orbiter in a joint operation with Russia, but that mission failed to leave the Earth's orbit and broke up over the Pacific Ocean. Early last year, though, Beijing landed a rover on the far side of the moon, beating us to the punch. Still, a manned mission to Mars by any country remains years in the future, and it's not too late for us to win that race. And that's The Daily 202 for Thursday, July 23rd. Thanks for listening. I'm James Holman. Stay safe. Wear a mask. I'll talk to you tomorrow.